This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your source for news and culture from Chicago and across the globe. The number of attempts to ban books nationally and in Illinois is at the highest level in the past 20 years. Most of the titles touch on gender, sexuality, and race. And the Chicago Public Library is fighting back and creating so-called sanctuaries across the city to protect access to these books and create a space for discussion. Here to tell us more about this initiative and how you too can create a sanctuary for books is Deborah Caldwell-Stone. She's director of the Office for Intellectual Freedom and executive director of the Freedom to Read Foundation at the American Library Association. So we're seeing more book bans this year than in years past. Why? And where are we seeing this take place? Frankly, we're observing an organized campaign led by a number of conservative advocacy groups to really limit what books are available to young people in our schools and libraries across the United States. We're seeing groups like Moms for Liberty, No Left Turn in Education, Parents Defending Education, and other local similar groups um, go to school boards, library boards, and demand limits or the removal of books primarily dealing with the lives and experiences of LGBTQIA persons or the lives and experiences of black persons primarily. Um, All of this tied to ongoing advocacy attacking civil liberties for gay, queer, transgender people or um, this uh, idea that critical race theory is in our K through 12 schools and is somehow corrupting young people, right. all of which are just, you know, lie, you know, misinformation lies, but in fact is driving a real uh, effort to remove books from schools and libraries. Yeah, to your point, it isn't just parents trying to ban these books. It's really part of a larger movement. Last week on this program, we spoke with Jonathan Friedman, who's director of PEN America's Free Expression and Education Program. I want to play a little bit of what he had to say about how what we're seeing now compares to book banning attempts in previous years. Then it was an individual parent or um, in a small localized case, someone is upset about a set of books, maybe. Mm -hmm. This is you know, organization, this is coordination, this is similar tactics, this is uh, similar demands, uh, and that is producing, you know, similar results as a lot of school boards are just not ready to deal with these demands and are um, removing books at the drop of a hat. So, Deborah, talk more about what you're seeing as far as coordinated efforts across the country and that point that he makes about school boards not being equipped to deal with the challenges. Well, 
What I would say is we collect uh, information from across the United States from uh, librarians and educators in the field. That forms the foundation of our challenge database um, and it's what we report on. Um, for example, right now uh, our data is showing that we've uh, that there are 681 challenges or attempts to remove books from libraries and schools right now uh, in 2022, attacking some 681 titles. Um, and what's uh, as that as uh, Mr. Friedman mentioned, what's unique about that is that that does reflect the effort of organized local chapters of groups like Moms for Liberty going to a school board meeting with talking points, with signs, um, being the loudest voice in the room during a public comment period at a board meeting and really creating a moral panic. Uh, and, you know, I, I would actually say that there are some school boards, elected officials who are primed to cooperate in this as part of a political wedge issue mm -hmm. on uh, that uh, is playing to particular voters during in a run up to a, the midterm elections that we're seeing. But then we see that same Moms for Liberty chapter in a locality pivot and go to this library, this public library board meeting and demand the removal of the same books. Um, and because uh, the, the Moms for Liberty, the uh, Parents Defending Education, all appear to be pretty well funded um, and uh, very well organized with, uh, uh, you know, it's difficult uh, not to believe that they might be representing a movement. Yeah. Uh, but in fact, our polling shows that the vast majority of voters and parents oppose censorship as a way of limiting uh, young people's education. Let's bring another voice into the conversation. Joining us now is Chris Brown, Commissioner of the Chicago Public Library. Welcome, Commissioner. Oh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. So you are in the business of giving people access to books. So why is it That's important correct. to you? Why is it important to you that folks have the ability to access all titles? Well, I think as a as a public library, we're here to support everyone. Uh, that includes our, you know, the diverse members of our communities, um, our BIPOC, our LGBTQ plus authors and readers. And so in Chicago, as a sanctuary city, we're establishing uh, book sanctuaries across our 81 locations to make sure that uh, our diverse readers really feel like they always have a place to turn. And it's starting in Chicago, but we're really, we're making this campaign into something national that everyone can sign up um, and, and establish their own book sanctuary and join our resistance. Yeah. You know, and we think of sanctuary for people, right? So I wonder how you got the idea to create a sanctuary for books. Well, uh, books are, they're representative of our people. These are diverse experiences and voices. And, uh, you know, I, there, there's the political element and there's the patterns we're witnessing. But I think working in libraries, we're really concerned about that reader, that kid in in the neighborhood who's seeing an experience representing their life that's being attacked. And we, we want to make sure that uh, in Chicago and, and across the country that people feel like they're not alone and that there, there are institutions like libraries championing mm -hmm. their freedom to read. 
Deborah, do you think that all books should be available, even ones that promote hate or promote violence? I would tell you that um, every book serves a purpose for a particular reader. And there's always that researcher, that person seeking to build an argument against a movement, uh, someone who wants to learn from history uh, or from the present moment. And, and so, you know, the whole core mission of libraries is providing information to the reader that needs it in the moment, serving the information needs. And so, you know, it's hard to say that any one book should be completely banned. What if, what if we had selective censorship? Well, the problem is, is that selective censorship, who makes that decision? Um, and so li- we have special libraries that serve special research purposes. We have libraries for academics. We have libraries for the general public. Um, and, you know, that's why there's, uh, libraries have policies to build collections that serve their communities and meet that community's particular information needs. So, and, and those policies are written with an eye toward the community. They're written toward an eye toward the resources available to a library. And so a community library certainly wouldn't include many books that you might be referencing, but they have a place in an academic library or research library. Um, And so, you know, and then interlibrary loan exists for the reader who needs to access those books. Um, So we, you know, there's a well-developed library ecology, if you will, um, that uh, supports and feeds into the uh, ability of all libraries to meet the information needs of their users. So, um, you know, it's, as I said, it's difficult to say that any one book should not be universally, you know, available, but it might not be the right fit for a particular library's collection or a particular community. And, um, but librarians know how to address that situation and have well-developed systems to address that situation. Uh, It's really remarkable. Librarianship is uh, a, a you know, uh, both uh, an academic discipline and uh, a system of work that is there to serve the community. And mm-hmm. it, I really admire looking at how so how it works uh, to do that. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, we're continuing our conversation about banned books. And we're talking with Commissioner Chris Brown of the Chicago Public Library about an effort to create book sanctuaries here in the city. And also here is Deborah Caldwell-Stone, who's executive director of the Freedom to Read Foundation at American Library Association. Commissioner, we know many of these challenged books, they deal with gender and they deal with race. What kind of impact can not having access to certain books have on people? Well, I think, um, you know, many of us have those library stories about powerful books that we feel, you know, carried us along on our journey and made us who we are. And, you know, I I really, um, it's concerning to think about our country uh, missing out on those, on those narratives. And and, and the reality is this is a, a bigger issue than a library issue. Uh, you know, our private residents, their reading of these books, their championing of these diverse voices, um, you know, really communicate that this is about our civil liberties, our access and our ability to explore um, experiences and our identities and, you know, to have a a whole rich lifelong of education and learning. Mm -hmm. And so we're crystal clear, Commissioner, how exactly does the book sanctuary idea work? 
Yeah, so uh, one of the, the core elements of this is making sure that we have uh, collected and protect those endangered books to make them more widely accessible. Uh, we're also hosting more book talks and events that generate conversations around these books. Okay. Uh, and then, and then, as I mentioned earlier, we're starting this in Chicago, but this is really meant to be a, a national campaign to, to be part of a national dialogue. And so we want to encourage the rest of our libraries, the rest of our of our country mm-hmm. to promote and make sure that we maintain that freedom to read. And people can visit thebooksanctuary.org to learn more, to establish their own book sanctuary, to download our toolkit and our, our graphics, to feel part of this, this national effort. Go ahead with your thought, Deborah. Oh, I was just going to say that Chris is absolutely right. There there are really two issues here. Uh, but one that's most important to the Freedom to Read Foundation is the fact that these are public community institutions funded by the public. And so there's an absolute obligation to serve everyone in the community and to assure that everyone has that uh, can uh, exercise their First Amendment right to read, which is guaranteed to all of us. Um, and and so when you start restricting books for a discriminatory purpose, when you start eliminating the ability of young people to read books they want and need to read, um, then you're really going, you're, you're really creeping up on the violation of their civil liberties. Um, and I would say too that there are so many benefits of having books that represent uh, a wide range of experience and libraries. Yeah. Uh, Unite Against Book Bans just published a white paper on how having access to diverse reading experiences empowers learning and reading on the part of young people. Um, and that white paper is available at uniteagainstbookbans.org. And it's really uh, a really good source of information on how, why we need to have these books in right. uh, from an educational perspective, but we also have to remember that First Amendment issue at the base of all of this. Right. Quick question before we go, Commissioner. We've just got 30 seconds here, but it came up last week when I talked about this. How concerned are you that librarians who are protecting access to these books, that they're in actual legal danger, that you know parents or these political action committees might sue them? Yes, we actually have seen incidents where some of these extremist groups have filed criminal complaints against libraries and librarians. And the American Library Association has a robust system for assisting librarians facing those issues. But it's absolutely, um, again, based on disinformation that there's a law against that. But there is a system in place to do that, but we are defending against it. We'll have to leave it there. That is Deborah Caldwell-Stone, Executive Director of the Freedom to Read Foundation at American Library Association, and Chicago Public Library Commissioner Chris Brown. Thank you both. This episode of Reset was produced by Claire Hyman and Linnea Dominic. It was edited by Andrew Merriweather. Enjoying our podcast? Then why not subscribe? We've got tons of great interviews and conversations about news and culture, just like this one. And when you do subscribe, don't forget to leave us a rating, because that helps more people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll catch you right back here tomorrow.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.